Hey Park Hill, this is Dan and Sarah Camonto coming to you from Allied Gardens. Today's teaching text is from Hebrews 3, 7-11. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Park Hill Church, it's so good to be with you guys. My name is Scott Curran. I'm the Embedded Church Planter. I think the last time that I taught was with Evan in March, literally the day before the whole California shutdown. So it feels good to just be with you guys again, even though it's digitally um, preaching this time. So yeah, it's so good to see you guys through a camera. Um, but yeah, we've been going through the Life in the Spirit series for the last 10 weeks now. Um, we've been exploring the themes of hearing God's voice, of um, the spirit and racial reconciliation and injustices. And then we've last been going through uh, the last two weeks, we've been doing, uh, does God heal today? Um, and so this week, I actually wanna ask uh, this question, how come I long for God's presence in my life and yet I don't feel it? How many of you have asked this question before or a similar question uh, to this? Because this is a question I've been asking myself a lot recently. Um, I've been going through this time where we're talking about hearing God's voice, what he's doing um, in the life of the church. And yet I can't hear his voice. He's not speaking to me um, the way that I normally hear him speaking to me. And this feeling, this feeling of being dry or being spiritually dry um, can be described in many ways. It can be described as uh, the dark night of the soul, um, the void, the night, or as the scriptures call it, the dry place. Now the dry place is a common theme throughout the whole Bible. Jesus himself literally was tested in an actual dry place. And so people throughout history have been putting language um, to how or how to describe what the dry place feels like. T.S. Eliot, he captures the emotional and mental experience of the dry place when he writes this, they all go into the dark, the vacant interstellar spaces, the vacant into the vacant. They have lost the motive of action and enter a silent funeral which is the darkness of God. And Madge Morris, she also describes uh, what the dry place feels like in her poem called The Lure of the Desert Land. She writes, have you lain with your face in your hands afraid? Face down, flat down on your face and prayed while the terrible sandstorm whirled and swirled in its soundless fury and hid the world and quench the sun in its yellow glare, just you and your soul and nothing there. If you have, then you know you have felt its spell, the lure of the desert land. And if you have not, then I could not tell, for you could not understand. So many of you might be experiencing this feeling, however intense it might be. Um, we, we want to experience God's presence. 
We even see people experiencing God's presence in powerful ways, but we don't quite feel it. We're spiritually dry. And so if you're experiencing this right now, I just wanna say, welcome to the club. Because it's not a matter of if you enter the dry place, it's a matter of when you enter the dry place. But I think for many people, when they begin to enter into the dry place, they think that there's something wrong, that there's a problem. Maybe that there's a problem with themselves or even worse, maybe there's a problem with God. But I wanna tell you that when we enter the dry place, we are in good company with Jesus and the authors of scripture, which brings us to the text in Hebrews that we heard read earlier. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven through eight says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So fun fact, this is the only time in the Bible where the Holy Spirit quotes scripture. Typically you hear the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah or the Holy Spirit speaking through David, but this is the only time where it says the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes scripture. So when you finally go to a post-COVID party, you can throw out some really cool Bible trivia. You're welcome. But in, in all seriousness, I actually believe that this is important to gaining a robust view of life in the spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit quotes scripture, he's quoting from Psalm 95. And this is a Psalm that describes Israel's wilderness, um, wilderness journey as a testing. The author of Hebrews is directly correlating life in the spirit to being tested in the wilderness. And if you remember from the book of Exodus, the Israelites are freed from slavery by Yahweh and they are brought through the wilderness to get to the promised land. So it wasn't that the wilderness or the dry place was a bad place for Israel. It was that Israel failed the test in the wilderness and hardened their hearts in rebellion to Yahweh. And that's what made the journey so much longer. And so similarly, the dry place for us when we live in the life of the spirit is not bad, but it is a place where we will be tested. And the author of Hebrews is warning us to not follow the way that Israel went by hardening our hearts in the dry place. And so I think that there are three ways that we can lay this out to help us understand this warning from the spirit about the dry place. So my first point is this, the dry place is not to be avoided, but embraced. So instead of thinking of the dry place as, uh, as meaning something's wrong in our lives, we should be open to it being a place that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. This even happened to Jesus himself after being baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, we read this in Mark chapter one. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tested by Satan. 
He was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. So the word tested is in brackets there because most translations will have it say uh, to be tempted by Satan. But this word um, is actually used in our passage in Hebrews when it says the testing um, of the wilderness. So Jesus was being sent by the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness, to, uh, into the dry place to be tested. Jesus is our example of the perfect spirit-filled human life. And even he experienced the dry place as a place of testing. So as his followers, we should also be expecting to be led by the spirit into the dry place and it be a place of testing for us. But instead of avoiding the dry place, Jesus embraces it and doesn't harden his heart like the Israelites did in the wilderness. And on the other side of his embrace of the dry place was resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit over all people. And so that's what brings me to our second point, which is that our driest places are usually the places of greatest promises and greatest preparation. Because God constantly provides the greatest promises when, there is, when his people are in the driest places. All throughout scripture, we can see the promises of God giving life and abundance in the midst of darkness and chaos. We can see it in the beginning with the proto-humans, Adam and Eve, fail the test in the garden and are sent out into the dry place. And it's in the midst of this moment that God makes the promise of the future serpent crusher. As he is cursing the serpent, God makes his promise about the woman's offspring. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So as Adam and Eve are being cast out of the first experience or into the first experience of the dry place, God makes a promise that one day the tragedy in the garden will be reversed and evil and death will be wiped away. And then later in the book of Genesis, we read the story of Abraham where God calls Abraham from the land of Ur into the land of Canaan, which will eventually be become known to the Israelites as the promised land. Abraham journeyed through the dry place. He experienced doubt and fear and even the possibility of having no descendants to carry on his name. But God meets Abraham in the dry place and he gives him this promise. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come to you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And this is considered to be one of the greatest promises in the biblical narrative. The promise of the multi-ethnic family of God is made to Abraham in the dry place. And then next, we see God make a similar promise to Moses as he is on top of a mountain in a dry place. He's fled from Egypt and God tells him to go back to free the Israelites. And as he's doing this, God gives Moses this promise. 
I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God promises the land of Canaan to the people of Israel. And he does this in the dry place. But after being freed from slavery, and as they enter into the wilderness, just like Adam and Eve, they fail the test. This is what our passage is mentioning when it says that Israel hardened their hearts in the time of testing in the wilderness. We read right here in Hebrews 3, 9 through 11, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So just like how Adam and Eve could not enter the garden after failing the test and eating from the forbidden tree, Israel couldn't enter the promised land because they too failed the test. And similarly, we can miss out on God's rest if we fail to listen to him in the dry place. And I believe that that God does this actually out of love for his people. And what I mean by that is God leads us into the dry place so that we can become prepared for his promises. The story of Israel is a great example of this. So for 400 years, there's slaves in Egypt and they held on to the promises of God that, that he had given to their ancestors. But over time, being in a different culture for 400 years, they began to develop views about God that were probably not fully accurate. And so once God brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, he began to tear down the false images of him that they had built up, these idols that that they'd made of him. He started to teach them that this God that rescued them is not a God equal among many gods. He is the creator of all things, the material and the immaterial. This God did not just want human slaves like the other gods of Egypt, but he wanted a family of faith. Israel's time in the dry place was a time of God tearing down the idols in their hearts. And so similarly, when God calls us to the dry place, he becomes the great idol breaker. So from the moment that I began to follow Jesus, I started to construct an image of who God was. I started to to build my own idol. And this wasn't necessarily a heretical idol where you could just point to and be like, no, that's wrong. It was more subtle. This idol where it was a God that I was personally comfortable with. A God who thought like me, he liked the same things that I liked and he hated the people that I hated. He even thought that I had the most virtuous political views and whatever divisive stance that I took, he was on my side. And we all do this to to some degree. We all build up images of who God is and a lot of it is good and true. But just like with any relationship we have with anyone, we need God to come to us on his terms to reveal himself. And one of the hardest things to do during this time is to sit in the dry place and allow God to strip away the false images we have of him. Maybe you think God only approves of Republican values. 
Maybe you think that God only approves of democratic values. And maybe, maybe you think God only tolerates behaviors that you tolerate. And I wanna ask you, will you let the Holy Spirit lead you into the dry place and break the false images of God that you've been holding on to? For me, this actually started happening um, earlier this year, right around when COVID hit. Before then, I felt like God would answer any question that I asked. He was really impressed with the things that I was saying from stage and was constantly always on my side. And he would listen every time I would speak to him. But that was an idol of making God more like a butler and a hype man than my creator, my father. And then he just ended up not speaking to me anymore in the ways that I wanted him to speak to me. So God has been breaking the idols of my soul and in this dry place, refining a better and more beautiful image of who he truly is. And just as an encouragement to all of you who might be feeling that you're going through this right now, I wanna say this to you. Ultimately, God breaks down the false images we have of him in the dry place so we can receive his promises in the most authentic way possible. When we are in the dry place, God is not absent from us. You are not alone. God has not abandoned us He is refining us and calling us toward himself in a new way. So another term I like to use for this is holy deconstruction. Deconstruction is the buzzword of today. And whenever I used it, it typically just meant my pride clothed in a false humility. My way of saying that I had created this idol without actually admitting that that I was wrong. I could divert the blame to my parents, or the Catholic church that I grew up in or the culture that I'm a part of, but never myself. And this place, the dry place is the perfect time for us to binge our favorite podcasts or read our favorite books that capitalize on this space and say, it's up to you to tear down these images. But holy deconstruction says that I will let God tear down the images that I've been holding on to him. And I will allow the Holy Spirit to build me back up again through his promises. And so in this place, the dark night of the soul, the dry place, the place of holy deconstruction, we become ready to receive the promises of God in a new way. We can hear the promises of God through the prophet Isaiah when he says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. We can also hear the words of our teacher in the dry place of Galilee saying that he has come to give us life and life to the full. And in the dry place, we can also hear the promise in Revelation that even though the powers of the world rage on, that it feels like our world is spinning out of control and just holding on by the seams, that one day Jesus will return and he will put everything back to right and we will be with God in the new heavens and the new earth. So when the spirit leads you 
into the dry place, into the place of testing. Remember that our driest places prepare us to receive our greatest promises. And this leads me to my final point. The dry place is not a place of abandonment, but the place of greatest opportunity. Although it may not feel like it when we're in the dry place, when we're there, we are not abandoned by God. When Jesus was in the dry place, hanging on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22 uh, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is identifying with David's cry over the perceived absence of God. But that's what it is. It's just a perceived absence of God. It's the felt experience that we have in the dry place. But when Jesus quotes Psalm 22, he has the whole Psalm in mind when he's saying it. And the Psalm ends with David proclaiming that God has not turned his face from the suffering servant. And that in the dry place, on the other side of the dry place, is the eventual resurrection of all people and the nations entering the new heavens and new earth. This was the opportunity presented before Jesus as he's in the dry place. And so similarly, the Holy Spirit is with us, refining us and bringing us into a place of the greatest opportunity for life in the Spirit. But that begs the question, how? How do we take advantage of the opportunity that is in the desert? All the great spiritual writers, they come back to this idea of liturgy being the means by which uh, we can take hold of this opportunity. Now, some of us might have baggage when we hear the term liturgy, but a good way to be thinking about liturgy is not just the order of our church service, but a way of ordering our lives our longings and our affections back toward the kingdom of God. Because spiritual breakthrough, it doesn't just spontaneously happen. It takes conscious, spirit-filled training and practice to get there. And that's what liturgy is. It is a conscious, spirit-filled practice and training. Just like professional runners, need to practice day in and day out, even when they don't feel like it, followers of Jesus also need to practice life in the spirit, even when we enter into the dry places. These practices are what sustain us in the dry place. And there's actually a lot of similarities, I think, to how professional runners train and how a lot of us um, think of our apprenticeship to Jesus. There was actually a development in uh, the running world during the 60s and 70s. We have a slide up here to show this. During the 60s and 70s, most runners thought to get faster, you just needed to run as hard as possible and as many days as you possibly could. And the harder and faster you ran more frequently, you'd get faster. Now that's generally true, but if you see on the graph, you'll start to get faster. And what scientists found is that over time, you'll start to flatten out. And because you're running so hard all the time, you will get slower because your body uh, starts to encounter fatigue and stress. And so in the second image that you'll see, um, today, runners train in cycles. They create intentional plateaus Um, so that they can rest before they start to train hard again. 
And what scientists have found out is that by doing this, when the body is allowed to recover, they're actually able to train harder than they would before. And over time, they'll actually get faster and more fit than they had uh, ever been able to before. And so similarly, I think this is how a lot of us think of life in the spirit. We think that we just need to be smoothly progressing in life in the spirit. Um, Our spiritual growth should just be naturally coming and we get better and better and better. But typically in that mindset, when when we do reach the dry place, we start to muscle our way through and we start to get worse and worse and worse. And instead, I think that we should be looking uh, toward the second graph as a way of understanding life in the spirit. This is where we anticipate the dry place. We anticipate plateaus and we create a liturgy that sustains us through the dry place. And as we allow this practice or this rule of life to sustain us through the dry place, we prepare ourselves for more and more growth in our experience and understanding of life in the spirit. And that's because the spirit exists in our liturgies. A lot of us probably tend to want to think um, that the liturgy is just boring and stale and that there's no way that the Holy Spirit could be a part of it. Because the Holy Spirit, we think, has to be a part of the spontaneous, the miraculous healings and tongues and prophecy. And absolutely, yes, the Holy Spirit is in all of those things. And the Spirit exists in the mundane and the repetitive acts of life. If you don't believe me, just look at Genesis. The first six days of creation are a repetition of the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. The first day, the second day, the third day, all six days. And who is present during that entire time? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit is working through the repetition and liturgy of creation. G.K. Chesterton actually, um, he describes how there's so much power and life in the liturgy when he writes this. A child kicks his leg rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. We need to embrace the dry place as the Holy Spirit calls us in to cultivate the eternal appetite of infancy. And we get to experience when we do that, the promises of God in new and fresh ways. And by doing all of this, we actually are heeding the warning that the author of Hebrews has given us. And we can actually begin to experience the rest that Israel missed out on. 
And so as we prepare uh, to take communion, as Evan and Sandy come up, I want to leave you with two liturgies that I think are going to help sustain us when we enter into the dry places. So these are the two. The first is develop a liturgy of community. This is important. This isn't just hanging out with friends who also follow Jesus. This is a commitment to a group of people to gather together, to pray, to read the scriptures and to live life in the spirit. And so many of you guys are already doing this and doing it really well. So I just wanna encourage you to keep going, keep at it. And for those of you who have yet to experience this, I wanna encourage you to start now. You don't have to wait till the pandemic's over. All you have to do is go to our website, parkhillsd.church, click on the little community tab and look at the directory and you can find a community to be a part of even right now. So I wanna encourage you guys who haven't gotten into a community to go ahead and do that. The second liturgy that I want us to work on is to develop a personal liturgy. This is a personal rule of life that is tailored specifically to you. This will help hopefully shape you as a human, but also sustain you through the dry place. Uh, a good way that I have found to do this is all you need is a journal. And so <clears throat> for the next week, all you have to do is for every single day, write down everything that you do throughout the day. Find the times where you are watching Netflix or uh, going to the news or on social media and see how much time that takes up every single day for a week. And then at the end of the week, sit down with that journal open. All you have to do is invite the Holy Spirit and ask him to reveal the places in that journal that are revealing that you can spend time in prayer and reading your Bible in stillness. And after you've identified that with the help of the Holy Spirit, start putting in those practices in place of all the habits that are taking you away from the presence of God. And just to let you know, even when you start doing this, you will fail. You will mess up and that's okay. Don't get frustrated. These are only just your, your old habits kicking in and you can break them. They're not the law of gravity. And soon the new habits over time will begin to become normal. And soon after this becomes your new normal, you will hopefully be ready to enter into the dry place and be sustained through it in living life in the spirit. So would you guys pray with me right now? Holy Spirit, we thank you that we are not abandoned when we go into the dry place. That even in the midst um, of what feels like absence of your presence, you are still working. You've given us promises to hold on to. You've shown us what it looks like to embrace the dry place. So would you reveal to us the places in our lives that um, are keeping us from you? And would you bring your presence into that space and empower us to change and enter into the dry place 
with your presence and with your promises with us. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.